This story begins... I don't know, because I didn't actually write this story. Because I didn't have enough time, because we're moving house, it's been handed over to my good friend and colleague, and sometime co-host, Ollie, to write a story befitting of the sombre times that we are currently living in. So, over to you, Ol. I'm excited, slash nervous. So... Yes, I was honoured to uh, be asked to write this story. I have quite a lot of uh, royal knowledge, so yeah, I hope you enjoy it. And um, Well, I assume that because you're from the South, you also have royal blood somewhere in your history. Well, who knows? Did you see the um, Danny Dyer thing where he's related to the Queen? Oh, yeah. Or the King, I don't know. Do you know he's mentioned it since, I believe, a few times? <laughs> I, I absolutely would as well. I absolutely would as well. But... So we're going back to more recent times, uh, to Thursday the 5th of uh, September, which was last week. I, like many other people, found themselves glued to the TV when it was announced that the Queen had taken on well around 12pm in Balmoral Castle in Scotland. Mm -hmm. A rush of senior royals made their way across the UK to Aberdeenshire, which is a beautiful part of Scotland. If you haven't been, you should definitely go... When you, when you say senior stunning. royals, how far down did it go? Because they, they kept just numbering people. They were like, and there are seven royals on the plane. So I think it was one of those things where um, it was n- a, a news story that kind of wasn't a news story yet. It was a lot of guesswork. So mm. the palace had released a statement uh, around 12pm that day saying that the Queen had, or, or, or her, her royal physicians were, were concerned. Yes. Yeah, concerned and monitoring they never do that. Health in the monarchy is seen as a private affair. Oh, yeah. And we kind of knew, I think everybody knew, speculation was kind of yeah, they, there. They, they were just prepping the ground. Because I was watching the debate in the House of Commons and everyone got little slips of paper and then it's like, mm. this is a serious debate and the the leader of the opposition's just left. The, the Prime Minister's just leaving, apropos of nothing. It's like... Mm. I mean, to be, to be fair, in common circumstances, the way that our parliament is run at the moment, I wouldn't be surprised if they just went for a cheeky cigarette break. <laughs> um, <laughs> but this was not the case. So the uh, the BBC presenters suddenly changed into like black ties. Like the logos on the BBC on social media went from red to black. Mm. Um, the public started to gather outside Buckingham Palace, uh, Windsor Castle, and of course Balmoral. Um, police presence got heavier and there was constant focus from the television on these free properties and people kind of speculating what was going on so the language of the news crews started to change um, from kind of optimism to really heavy (laughs) scepticism so um, I was I I was glued to the television myself I was supporting somebody who was a uh, who was a big royalist Oh, it's so a we bad was, day for them. So we were we were sitting. Well, we didn't know that yet. He kept looking at me. I felt very terrible. Actually, he kept looking at me. Is she going to be all right? Is she going to be all right? And I was like, oh, Well, I don't know. We're going to have to see. Whereas in your um, head, it was no. This has already happened. This is a fait accompli. This is. Texas were flying around through sort of everyone. People were like discussing it on social media and stuff. So the news came at half past six mm. on that day. The flags lowered on the television before it was announced. Um, and then it was announced uh, the Queen had died. Symbolically in Scotland, 
the heavens opened across the skies and I believe it happened in the UK as well. Yeah. Winds are it started raining and it was kind of this really symbolic time. It was it was really strange. The mood kind of changed. Um and I was in rural Scotland myself when this happened. I don't know if because the Queen was in Scotland that I kind of felt that connection, but it was very strange, very strange atmosphere. Mm. So well, there was... was definitely uh pictures, I don't know if it was real or Photoshop, but double rainbows. And everyone yeah. was immediately, well, that's that's Philip come down to take her up to heaven. I mean, yes, I mean, people... Which, uh, do you know what? It's nice. If that's if that's how people want to interpret it, it, it is sure. very rare to have that happen. So go with it. For, for sure. And, and, and I think it was... Uh, it's a big day in British history. Mm. Um, there's, there's, there's no doubt about what, whatever side of the fence you kind of sit on. Like, historically, it's a big thing. Um, so there was like an instant outpouring of grief that came thick and fast across social media pre-written statements have been posted including one of my own well i know um, that you actually wrote yours at the time but i wonder how many of those have been sat in a, you know a draft box for well it's funny because i i did read uh, now i've read a lot recently in the in the in the past few days but um a welsh minister apparently had posted about the queen dying before the bbc had announced it at half past six and then taken it down and said oh no no that was a mistake but then i think people were like well why have you pre-written it why do you know um and why did it uh, have hashtag spoilers after it? what was going on there <laughs> exactly exactly so it's um there's a lot of stories coming out we 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 don't necessarily know like what's 100 percent true um there's that whole big thing in our generation isn't there of fake news who knows but that's just one of the stories that i read um, about a potential leakage well, of... I, I would think that all of the officials were told ahead of time and they were waiting till half six because then everyone's at home, it's during the BBC News, it's kind yeah. of... Yeah, so I think everyone was waiting for 6pm because yeah. that's six o'clock news. Uh, for those of you that don't listen in the UK, 6pm 6, 6 is kind of the news time. It is when the news happens. It is, yes, it's when the news of the day is uh, is announced, so everyone was waiting. But, um, the, I mean, as I said, the signs were there. The, the logos on social media had changed before the announcement was made. So, and then something else happened, a reaction that I really wasn't ready for. So I got quite emotional about it all. And I don't know if it's because I've seen tragedy recently myself. So as you well know, Joe, as my friend, but for, for people that don't know, I lost uh, a friend who was also a co-host, uh, on my podcast recently, so about a year ago, Dan from Real Life Ghost Stories mm. uh, died unexpectedly and then followed less than a year later by a really good friend of mine, James, who died only a few months ago. So I don't know if that grief was kind of there still, um, but it really hit me and I I was really aware that I was living through an age of history, mm. I think, because Queen Elizabeth has been around for what seems like forever. <laughs> well, for us, technically, I guess it is. We've never known a time without. And she is an age unto herself, a bit like the Victorian age. It's the second Elizabethan age, isn't it, really? That's how it's going to be remembered. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then when I was thinking back as well to like historical characters like JFK, Elvis Presley, all these big historical names, Martin Luther King, Anne Frank, she was older than all of them. 
and she was still around. <laughs> like, and it was, uh, sorry, she wasn't older than Martin Luther King, but she was around at that period of time. And these, these people seem like historical people. And yet the Queen... Yeah, you only see them in black that. and white. And I mean, the Queen was doing CGI videos with Paddington. Absolutely, absolutely. And we'll get on to that a bit later, okay. Paddington. Paddington does make an appearance. Um, so the I announcement... whore that he is. I know. You know You know the guy that voiced him? I went to school with him. Did you? fact for you, I did. So the announcement of the Queen is dead, long live the King, it sounded so alien and unfamiliar. And it also seemed really quick. Um, I know that the monarchy is a fluid thing, but Prince Charles had instantly become King Charles III. As Terry Pratchett said, the only thing quicker than the speed of light is the speed of monarchy. Because mm. it is instantaneous. Yeah, it just to me it just sounded really alien, and I know that the protocol had been there for a long time. Um, I think the famous saying was "London Bridge is down um, when the Queen dies," and it was just yeah, it was it was happening. I think we speculated on it for a long time, but all of a sudden it had happened. Now, did it surprise you, as it surprised me, that King Charles decided to be King Charles, considering the baggage that that particular name has when it comes to royalty? Yeah, absolutely. We know the the first King Charles got his head lopped off. Uh, number two took revenge. Uh, uh, I can't recall what else number two did. Uh, very uh, lusty man who sired many bastard uh, children and many merry monarch. Yeah, he, so, yeah, he believed in the absolute power of the the monarchy. He prorogued and got rid of parliaments various times. He, like I say, sired many many children and spent pretty much all of the money. <laughs> <laughs> right, so he's. I mean, I suppose uh, one way to look at it is if you've got two really bad predecessors with your name, then you lo- just need bar. to be a little bit better than them. I mean, you could say the same about calling yourself George for the most part. Mm. Yes, I yeah, mean the for Georgian sure. period is remembered fondly, but not based on the quality of the monarchs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've, I, I. I mean, uh, monarchs are, are famous for for not necessarily taking their own name hmm. um queen victoria her name wasn't victoria so wow what was it did you not know that? i did not know that. did you know that? it's uh alexandrina oh no i did know that um king george the Six was uh, i tell you later hmm. but i think it was arthur i don't think his real name was george yeah but i mean come on if you're gonna be king arthur you are really setting yourself up aren't you you better be absolutely magnificent yeah and some people might say that he was mm. um so in this takeover episode joe yes. i want to discuss the queen's life including the integral impact that she had on me as a historian and this might surprise you a former monarchist I and now a socialist i don't know that that surprises me because in school we are taught that the monarchy is it. It's not even questioned. It's like you get taught gravity or you get taught the rules of mathematics. And there's also the monarchy. And that's just part of these inalienable, they'll always be there kind of things. Mm -hmm. It's only once you start to move on to the sort of later years of A-levels that it's like, "Mm, but people have had other ideas, you know. Mm, It's true. I mean, uh, I've written to the Queen twice. I've got two letters back from her, from her ladies-in-waiting. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even young when this happened. It was probably about five years ago. So it's not it's not overly that long ago that I was part of that camp. It's only in recent years that I've kind of switched sides as 
Was it because you realised that it wasn't the monarchy in particular, but that monarch that you were behind? Yeah, I I think Queen Elizabeth, for a lot of people, was a a good figurehead. Uh, I don't think we can... Uh, especially in our lifetime, sort of towards the end, I think they, the saving grace after 1997, which I will get onto, but she, uh, I think the monarchy did very well at reinventing themselves. Um, but I think it was Queen Elizabeth at that head that oh, yeah. kind of kept everyone loyal. I worry now. <laughs> Without the nation's grandma, who everyone, what is even, even Republicans are like, yes, but. Can we let Elizabeth finish? Because she's done such a such a good job. I don't want to make her sad. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. So, I, I mean, time will time will tell. We're still in the days of of mourning here, aren't we? So, so we'll we'll we we'll are. see. Charles Charles might uh, surprise us all. Who knows? Well, he surprised me. Um, mm. Yeah, by what by taking the name, by taking the name, <laughs> by firing a load of his loyal staff, and by. Uh, appointing his younger brother Andrew as his second, which was brave. But we're, yes, we're not going to touch on that. It's, I mean, we will touch on that, but later on. Okay. <laughs> so I think it's, 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 uh, <laughs> it's a good assessment to kind of get a balance of things when we're talking about mm. uh, the Queen and, not be, uh, and, and the monarchy and not be kind of be blinded by nostalgia. Mm. So, um, and I hope that we don't get cancelled after this episode. So please stay with us. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote and this is Consistently Eccentric, a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with... So yes, uh, teenage princess Elizabeth looked like my nan um, and for a while when I was a kid um, I genuinely thought my nan was the queen and that's why I couldn't meet her because she was on the throne. I don't know if that's sad or... um, Nice. Do you know what? It's quite a nice <laughs> fantasy to give yourself. Yeah, I know. It's nice, isn't it? Did, it? did that, you know, naturally progress to, and someday I will be king. I mean, well, yeah, there is this running joke and it, it's kind of uh, slipped by the wayside now. But um, I used to get called like King Ollie, like quite a lot because I'd sign all my cards like HRH Ollie. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> um, but I've stopped doing that now, um, as my uh, loyalties now lies lie elsewhere. But um, yeah, there was a long period of time, and I'm sure there's many documents out there that say HRH Ollie of Englandshire or something on Is them. Is that treasonous? I feel that's treasonous. I can do what I like. I live in <laughs> Scotland now. What are they going to do? Historically, when the Scots have tried to... <laughs> Mm, true. The bridge. True. Um, Although, do you know there's there's a there's a there's a really big feeling of proudness around the Queen, sort of loving Scotland and dying in Scotland yeah. as well. Like, I think a lot of people have taken comfort in that, and I think uh, we see Scotland as a very uh, overall socialist country and stuff. But from from what I've been hearing and seeing in recent days, I think the the question is still very complicated. There are a lot of people that support the monarchy here and there are a lot of people that are very proud of the union. Mm. Um, and I don't think it's as, as, as clear well, cut. Said, they had to say, didn't they, in terms of that if we leave politically, we still want to keep the monarchy. That's mm. I think that's an SNP sort of part of the pledge was we want independence to make our own laws and do our own thing, but we want but we... to keep our monarch. 
because she is the crowned head of, or she was the crowned head of Scotland. Mm. And I wonder if part of it is, you know, just like, yeah, she's a kindred spirit. She comes up here to get the fuck away from the English too. They do her not in. <laughs> she's one of us. Yeah. I mean, well, there's the Stuart line. That's the, yeah. It's the Stuart line. It's the Scottish line. So, but anyway, we digress. Mm. We digress. Um, so I also want to talk to you about the buildings that I've stepped into. So I have personally stepped into Buckingham Palace, the Sandringham Estate, Windsor Castle and Balmoral Castle throughout my own never life. never caught by security, which is why they call you the cat. Well, yes. Well, don't tell them that. They know my <laughs> secrets now. So in fact, I was only in Balmoral uh, a few months ago when I went up. Uh, no, I visit. remember you saying that you'd gone to visit, yeah. Yeah, and um, I was actually in the ballroom in Balmoral, which is the only part of the actual building that they let you in because it's still a, a residence. Or, it still or irks was. you, isn't it? Because that's that's the the opening gambit last time you told me about it. Like, and you're only allowed in the ballroom? Well, and I, I know I, she I... was rattling around somewhere else in the building. <laughs> Well, I knew where a bedroom was. I found that, so that's fine. Um, there's actually a photo of me somewhere, like pointing to her bedroom uh, a few months uh, prior to her, to her death. There, I assume in that um, bedroom, yeah, in that bedroom. Um, but yeah, I was I was in the ballroom, and um, I heard on the news that that's where she started her journey uh, from uh, Scotland to London via Edinburgh. So I've stood in the room only a couple of months before the monarch of the UK laid uh, before she started her journey back to London to be uh, buried. So, um, again, quite symbolic for me. I digress. Um, Joe, we're going to play a quiz. You, you warned me there would be a quiz. So this quiz is going to be about uh, either the Queen, events that happened in her lifetime, or people related or associated with the Queen, so it's quite a diverse mix. I didn't want it to be like the boring question, so I tried to be as um, out there as I can. Okay, uh, is there a passing grade? Are you going to stop the episode if I fail? No, abs- well, absolutely not. You, you, uh, your reward is you have to edit the episode. Oh, fantastic! So. Well, I can just <laughs> later. The, the sound levels will be different. <laughs> you just change, yeah, them, change yeah. all the answers. Cool. So, question one. Yeah. Which way does the Queen face on a stamp? Oh, right, because they change it after every monarch, don't they? I suspect she faces right? It's left. So she faces left on a stamp and right on a coin. God and damn then it. it will f- and it will flip around. I assumed it was for the, the same new monarch. On both. Well, so did I, but oh. no, it's not. I, ha- I have a stamp in front of me now because I had to double check... That I was correct. <laughs> Is that so, so you can hold a coin and a stamp next to each other and have the Queen have a conversation with herself? Absolutely, when you're yes. I'm, that's what I do. Welcome to, <laughs> welcome to my life. Um, okay, so question two. What year did the Queen welcome the first woman UK Prime Minister? And who was it? Well, it was Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. And that would have been late 70... I want to say yeah, 78... One more. 79. 79, yes. Damn it. So you were so close. I know. You can have that. You can have that one. That's fine. I'm out by an entire year. You can have that one. It's fine. It's cool. If I turned up to my wedding and I was out by a year, my wife would have had things to say. So I, I, <laughs> I take the point away from myself. Okay, fine. I'm, <laughs> I'm obviously a lot more generous than you are. Um, okay, question three. How many corgis did the Queen own in her oh, lifetime? Jesus. I mean, 
I want to say hundreds, but I I don't think she would because I think she wanted a personal connection with each of them. So I'm going to say, let's go for 92. No, you're way too high. Way too high. Really? Yeah, so it's 30. 30. Free own. In 96 years, she owned 30. Yep. I mean, you've got to think, they live to like 10, 15 years old each. Yeah, but... Are you disappointed? Yeah, I am a little bit. I imagine, like, battalions of corgis. Do you know where the corgis are going? The, the ones that are left behind. Yes, they are being placed in her tomb with her, a la uh, uh, an Egyptian pharaoh to no, accompany I mean, her to the next life. That might be a safer option. They're actually going to Prince Andrew. Oh, God. You don't give people things they can use to lure kids. I mean, it's... <laughs> Offender Management 101. Question four. What year did decimalisation come into Britain? Now, that was in the 70s. It was. I feel like it's 76. Mm, no, it's earlier than that. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, um, when? 1971. Really? Yeah. But when was full decimalisation completed? So it took, it took a while. If you actually read my article that I published, <laughs> <laughs> you will know... Um, and I can't remember because I wrote it a long time ago. Yeah, quite early on, isn't it? So when, when there's all this talk about going back to imperial measures and stuff, they're talking about something that happened over half a century ago. Uh, yes, Christ. yes, 100%. Um, anyway, so 1971, before we got uh, pounds and pence, which is what it was labelled as. Number five. So this is kind of two questions in one. So... Okay. Who did Diana Spencer marry, and what famous family is she descended from? Oh, God. Right, well... So who did she marry? Well, she married Charles. Yeah, I, okay. That seems so obvious. It's like, what, she divorced her? What's she <laughs> What's going on? Um, what what the Spencers descended from? Yeah. Uh, is it in England, or is it across the pond? Yeah, it's a really famous... Uh, don't tell me it's the Boleyns. No, no, no. Who? I'll tell you. Bob. So it's Sir Winston Churchill was Princess Diana's distant cousin. Really? To this day, some of the members of the family still style their name as Spencer-Churchill. So um, if they ever describe Princess Diana as a commoner, they are lying. She was not. Oh, no. She was, <laughs> she was part of the Churchill family. She was common compared to the Prince of the Realm, though. Mm. But then everyone is. Yes, yeah. apart from apart from me. HRH. Yes. Right, okay, so this one's quite hard, so I don't expect you to get this, but it's got a cool little backstory. So, uh, number six, who was Anthony Blunt in relation to the Queen? Now, he's not actually a relation, but who was he in the household of the Queen? Anthony Blunt. Oh, I really hope he was the bloke who made her breakfast every morning on that shonky little tray. Uh no, but that's a very good answer. So he was a member of the Queen's working household. He was also a respected British art historian who later in life revealed that he had been a Soviet spy when he was working for the King, so her dad, and then the Queen during the um, 70s and 80s. So he was he was trading secrets to the Soviets and working in the Queen's household. Did he reveal this in a memoir? 
So he had been kind of outed and he kind of had to reveal it, but it wasn't discovered until years after he had been in the Queen's service. But so that's, that's still treason, surely. Mm, he didn't get in trouble, though. What? Everyone he just kind went, of, oh, you. Got let, he, did, he got let off. Is he any relation to James Blunt? I have no idea. My love is brilliant. I've, My love is pure. I'm no, so I don't know. secrets. very good um yeah so he was a soviet spy and he was in the queen's working household which is uh, i mean that's a high stress job mm. i couldn't i I guess you've got to be really good at compartmentalizing your life to to be a spy i i'd just be constantly sweating yeah Mm. my eyes unlike unlike prince andrew boom (laughs) um (laughs) i feel like there's going to be a running theme Question seven. Who was responsible for the assassination of Lord Mountbatten, who was Prince Philip's uncle? Well, that was the IRA, was it not? It was the IRA, and I'm going to go into more detail about that a bit later on. Mm, She Um, she, she met with them, didn't she? It's all a little bit dodgy. But yes, so Prince Philip's uncle and his family were killed um, by the IRA. They were on a boat, weren't they? Uh, yes, yeah. we'll, we uh, well yeah. I'll go into a bit more Called detail the saucy later on. Sue. I'm not sure if that's true. <laughs> it might have been. Um, okay, so uh, what is the Queen's surname? Uh, it is Saxa Coburg Gotha. It but was. They changed it because it sounded a bit German, because it is. Um, and I, I believe that the Germans named a plane or a ship Gotha. And it was felt it would be a bit on the nose if German sort of heavy machinery had the same name as the monarchs. So they changed it to Windsor. Yes, it is a Windsor. It was actually changed in 1917. Mm. So during World War One, um, there was obviously anti-German. Yeah, people were just not happy about the royal family of Great Britain having a German last name. So it got changed to Windsor. I mean, you, you feel like... The reason they had a German last name is because they were descended from Germans. So, mm, yes, well, really, that's, ex- that's exactly what they are. Yes, yeah, yeah, so you know, it's almost like that they were fighting their cousins at this point. They're, again, absolutely <laughs> true. Well, I, um, I think they missed a trick there because I think it's a great mind games. I mean, naming your your ships after famous heroes of your country is one thing, but naming them after famous heroes from the country you're fighting is a bit so of a mind have- fuck. Yeah, because you have to blow up a ship that uh, of something. That, mm, yeah, imagine I like that. It. You know, the German ship, the Nelson. You should write to the MOD and demand that they do that from now on. Yeah, whoever we're going to to war with, just just rename all of the ships <laughs> after people they loved. <laughs> Very good. Two more questions. Cool. Uh, Let's do it. Did the Queen need a driving license? I feel she didn't. Yeah, you're correct. You're correct. But she that did was... learn to drive lorries, was it? And to do them, she could fix engines. So that goes on to my next question. Mm. So you'll be able to answer that one quite well. So no, she doesn't have a driving licence. The only person in the UK that doesn't need one. Mm. Um, although I'm not sure if that extends to the royal family in general or if it's just the reigning monarch. Um, but no, she doesn't need a driving licence. Question 10. What did the Queen do during the later years of World War Two? So that I, was was she a mechanic? She was working on the the trucks, and that's where she learned to drive. Yeah, 
So Princess of Little Bit. Uh, princess is such a mouthful. Lilibet. Prince, but Lilibet. Uh, so she gained her training as a mechanic in March 1945. So obviously at this point in time, they didn't realise how near they were to the end of the war. So she was, she, she learned vehicle maintenance mm. uh, and she qualified. And her. yeah, she qualified so she can, she can fix engines and she can drive lorries. Well, so not anymore, but I mean, mechanics should be, you know, they should be like, you know, royalty. Mm. Yeah, I agree. The mechanic I use, I consider him a prince because Jesus, he always comes through for me. Does he? Yeah. Oh, it's good when you find a good mechanic. Isn't it? I can't imagine uh, Lizzie underneath the, like, Rolls Royce, though. I don't, she might have done in her younger days, but... Do you know, I, I think you want to keep those skills in. Just about, mm. I'll just have a little tinker. Because to be honest, if she messes it up, it's not like she can't afford to get it fixed. So she can just have a play with it. Exactly. Exactly. So that's your, that's your ten questions. I think you did all right. It was kind of a, a, a getting to know what you know. Mm. Bits. So, bits. Yes. That's, that's my history knowledge. You won't, you know, there's no rhyme or reason to the bits that I've picked up. It's Did it interest me at the time? Yes. It's gone somewhere in the brain. Otherwise, no. <laughs> For a pub quiz to come out later on. <laughs> so, back to back to Queen Elizabeth. So, the Queen was never meant to be Queen. Uh, no. It was only because of her uncle's abdication that her life course was set. So, we do have one thing to thank the Nazis for. Yeah. Mm. Well, do we? Yeah. I mean, he was a Nazi sympathiser and his wife definitely liked Hitler. Well, there are all let's... these pictures of them hugging and things. There, uh, so the British aristocracy didn't really have a problem with Germany and uh, the Third Reich until they started on them. <laughs> so whilst it wasn't their issue, they weren't particularly bothered. And there are there is footage of Princess Elizabeth doing a Nazi salute when she's younger. So um, you can Google that one. Um, I'm not. I, I, I'm thinking. I'm blaming the parents more on this one because she was quite young. She probably didn't know what she was doing. She could have been doing it in a mocking way. No, but I who think knows. at that point it was like we've got to be nice to Herr Hitler. So d- do the thing. Come on. For sure. Mm. For sure. He was like a diplomatic. Uh, in the same well, way, when you scene. see all those films where they go over and they meet the indigenous peoples and they do mm. whatever they're told to do, and you feel like sometimes they could be having a laugh, like he wore it. Did he? Yeah, he put it. He kept it on his head all day. Oh my god! <laughs> I know. Did he? <sighs> did he not realise it was our chamber pot? No, no, he didn't. <laughs> it's just terrible, terrible. But um, yes, alas, that's what happened. Mm. So this story—I've always wanted to say that this story begins in 1926. Oh. Elizabeth was born at 2:40 a.m. on the 21st of April 1926 at 17 Brunton Street in Mayfair, London. Elizabeth was the eldest daughter of Prince Albert, Duke of York, future, confusingly, King George VI, and his wife, Lady Elizabeth Bowes-Lyon. Oh, the Queen Mother. So where I was brought up, uh, uh, there was a uh, like recreational hall called the Bowes-Lyon Centre, and it was this this massive, concrete, brutalist building that just looked the most unroyal building <laughs> that you could have seen and it was like the Bose Lion Centre and like uh, I think like people used to like like smoke down there and I think uh, people got pregnant down there and it was kind of the it was it was just 
it was a bit grotty. So every time I think of Bose Lion, you think that's of a grotty, what I think of yeah, okay. concrete structure. Uh, talking of structures, uh, the Queen's first home no longer stands. Um, it was pulled down by property developers pre World War II. However, the second and main childhood home of Elizabeth was 145 Piccadilly. Right. On the 7th of October, 1940, this house was badly damaged during an air raid. It was later fully demolished in 1959 as part of a road improvement scheme for the Hyde Park corner. Now, in its place, is a luxury hotel intercontinental London Park Lane which opened in 1975 and is still there to this very day. So if you're feeling flash and you want to uh, be in a historic part of the country where Queen Elizabeth or Princess Elizabeth at the time was brought up, then fill your boots into continental London Park Lane. <laughs> how, how much is the cheapest room? I, I don't know. I, I don't actually work for them. Okay. so <laughs> um... Just 99.99 and it comes with a continental breakfast. Yeah, I, I bet they have really tacky rooms, don't they? Like the Duke of York room and like Princess Elizabeth room. The Mountbatten room. The Mountbatten oh, room. God, it smells of smoke and everything's on fire. <laughs> it smells of racism in here. <laughs> um, <laughs> so at the time of her birth, she stood third in line to the succession after Edward, Prince of Wales, mm-hmm. later King Edward VIII, and her father, the Duke of York. In 1930, Elizabeth's sister, Princess Margaret Rose, was born. The family of four was said to have been very close. And uh, I recently watched a BBC documentary uh, where the Queen actually narrated the documentary, which is so rare um, for her Platinum Jubilee. So she was, uh, there was all this home footage of her at uh, the Piccadilly home. And uh, it's actually, it's really sweet. It's you, it's none of this formality. It's just a family that are obviously quite well to do, but just having a nice time, which is quite sweet. It doesn't come across on the film here, but Daddy was incredibly drunk. And I remember waking up at four in the morning thinking there was a monster and it was just Daddy chundering into the... <laughs> into the pan just over and over i mean that would have been her uncle i think uncle uncle and mummy were the drinkers in the family ah. um so yes uh elizabeth bow's lion was uh, was renowned for she having was. a drink drinking um, smoking hunting shooting fishing she was uh, i mean she lived to the ripe old age of 101 so she did okay see i always thought the queen was gonna outlive her mum Mm, so did I, just because of like the day and age mm. that we're in now. I just thought, I suppose, Jeanette, like when your time comes, it comes, doesn't it? But I mean, yeah. she did pretty well being 96. No, if but I yes. hit my 90s, I want to get to 100. I don't think I'll hit my 90s, but if I do, that's the focus. It's like I want to... Will you still be doing these podcasts? Yeah, but I'll, the dementia will have set in, so I'll just be doing the same episode <laughs> over and over again. Just, just keep going, like referring back to your old notes. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. I've got a new one for you. Oh, do you? Okay. What is it? <laughs> Tell it's me about Tyburn. when... <laughs> yes, yes, okay, Tyburn. We've we bloody done that one! <laughs> um, so Elizabeth's quiet life came to an end in 1936 when her grandfather, King George V, died only eight months after his silver jubilee. His eldest son, King Edward, came to the throne, but before the end of the same year, King Edward had decided to give up the throne and abdicate in order to marry the love of his life, Mrs. Wallace Simpson. 
And he couldn't marry her because... She was a divorcee. Yes, twice. Oh, it's twice she... this thing, so you're allowed to be divorced it wasn't... once and be married no, to a king. No, it was, it was very different times back there. It was, And she was American as well. She was seen as lower in the class system. She was... Even though a lot of Americans back then were actually a lot more wealthy mm. than the old money of Britain, she was American, so... <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> we are not having an American here. Um, an American and... marrying into the royal family? I mean, so... imagine if today, when an American marries into the royal family, we were really snobby and snooty and really bitchy about them. Oh, that that would never happen. It's nice that we've moved past that bias, is yeah, what I'm saying. Would absolutely never happen these days. I mean, let's not forget, you know, Winston Churchill had Americans in the family. Mm. And yeah, I mean a lot of a lot of people. I I read a book recently uh, about Agatha Christie, and she's American as well. Who knew? And I mean, our, our, until recently, our prime minister was born in America, born in New York City, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bojo. No, no, no. Let's so, give him his full name: Alexander de Piffle. Is that? Is, I don't know That's what his name, name is. Just needs just a scruffy gentleman, isn't he? <laughs> a but, scruffy gent. A scruffy gent. Uh, so King Edward was not King Edward for very long, and uh, you, you'll probably know that I've got a bit of an, a bit of an obsession with post boxes and the you royal do. ciphers on them. So King Edward the Eighth post box is a very rare, very very rare. There's not many in the country. So if you see one, take a photo because you are not going to see many. They are unbelievably rare. Is that so, the same? Was the coinage with his face on it? I, uh, I it was never it was, released. Was it I don't never think it released? Was, I don't think it was ever released. Or there was only one batch mm. released. So that's um, like hen's teeth as well, if you can get old. Yeah, so it's yeah very, very rare. Elizabeth's father then ascended to the throne because it passed to him. He was next in line. Edward didn't have any children, so it didn't go down that line. So all of a sudden... Princess Elizabeth and Princess Margaret, uh, their lives are changed. Yeah, they're they're, they're pushed into this royal line of succession. Although I Um, assume at that time it was still male took supremacy. So if they had then had a a son, son, he would have jumped to the top of the list. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, I'm not not sure when that male uh, line ceased to exist. That's a really weird thing to be in oh i am the next in line to the throne but at any um, moment i might not be yeah you know if you yeah. if she was a bloke it would be well i am next in line to the throne nothing's gonna jump mm-hmm. in there but there's still definitely that slight, definitely definitely yeah it was um uh, th- their life course had, had kind of changed although she was brought up in obviously privilege she was part of the royal family but she was a minor royal she although she was uh, the idea was that that whoever Edward married, they would have children, and Elizabeth would get pushed further and further and further back down the royal succession. But it didn't happen that way. So Elizabeth's father ascended the throne as King George the Sixth, and in May 1937, the princesses attended their parents' coronation in Westminster Abbey. And Elizabeth they had a was... reign that had no hiccups or bumps in the road at all. The, it was all the just end. great. <laughs> the end it was perfect uh elizabeth was now first in line to the throne so she's gone from third to first in 1939 the world was at war Hmm. and in 1940 at the height of the blitz 
The young princesses were moved for their safety to Windsor Castle, where they spent most of the war years. Now, it's said that this is where she uh, sort of developed her love for Windsor Castle. Never massively a fan of Buckingham Palace. That was kind of the... It was danger. It was danger. Yeah, yeah. you're in the middle was, of London. It was danger. But throughout her whole life, never really a big fan. Windsor Castle and Balmoral were kind of the two... See, I'd have said, if you're moving for safety... Scotland would be safer than Windsor. Yeah, I mean, Windsor is still pretty close to London, but it was in easy reach of their parents. They're still young by this God point. Damn it, we still had an empire. I would have said, you know, moving to somewhere far out would have been... Yeah. You know, I, if that's the next in line to the throne, it's like the king's probably got to stay there to keep things together, to show that presence. I know that the Queen Mother insisted on visiting the, the bombed out bits of london and that really people really uh, appreciated that and it, it really created a connection between the monarchy and the people but mm. for your two young daughters you'd be like right you are going to the farthest reaches of our empire and you are staying there i just i i, I think maybe if you're from i don't know if you're if you're from that line maybe you think you're a little bit invincible. Do you know what I mean? You've got this power complex that actually, well, we're the royals, so actually nothing will happen to us because money is power. Um, But we know that's not true. So, uh, while at Windsor, Elizabeth and Margaret continued their education as normal, participated in air raid drills, and were subject to food rationing. Now, I don't know if they were subject to... Only three quail tonight. Yes, I'm sure there was a, a back door into the palace and a black market rife. Well, don't for forget, the king. their dad controls all the swans, and I hear there's good eating on a swan. So they've got. I mean, that if you, uh, but yeah, they 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 survived. All, the, all <laughs> they... the venison in the king's woods. They've got that. All the wild yes. boar. Indeed, indeed. I'm sure they didn't suffer too much as much as a lot of other people. Mm. However. Um, the king and queen uh, joined them in Windsor wherever possible, but they stayed in London, and this was a morale booster. So they also toured the country in support of the war effort, including meeting communities who had suffered from heavy bombing. So this, like you said earlier, really cemented their relationship with the people. All of a sudden, these royal people that have kind of been shut away for a long time were there. They were on the bomb sites. Now, I'm sure it was very controlled and I'm sure there was a lot of people around them protecting them. But there were there's pictures of the king and queen standing on rubble and talking to people in a, in a way that would never have happened before. I'm just thinking, S- and what do you do? Well, not a lot now. I'm homeless yeah. and my factory's just been blown up, so... Uh... I don't have a house now, ma'am. <laughs> um, so... I mainly um, cry. I mainly cry. And then yeah, I mean, for rats. You were, I mean, I think about it. So, like, it wasn't even that long ago, like, World War Two. It must have been terrifying. Like, especially being in, like, the big cities. London, Birmingham, Clyde Bank up in Scotland. Like, oh, yeah. I... Just... I think it was very much a, t- a sort of two-tone war because all the people in the major centres were, like, absolutely terrified. And then I imagine the people of rural Wiltshire who were just like, yeah, as well. Oh, there's another jerry plane going ahead. I wonder where they're going. They never <laughs> saw the planes. They were just like, well, I, I hear things are bad in London. Anyway, cricket? Yes, cricket. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, that's, yeah, very, very, uh, yeah, two-tone. I think you're right, potentially, where where you lived. Um 
So I'm going to fast forward now mm. to after the war in 1947 when Elizabeth married Prince Philip Mountbatten. He wasn't Prince Philip there. He was just Philip Mountbatten. He was in um, the Navy, wasn't he? he was a, He was in the Navy. Was he a captain or was he in... He he yeah he he was a he was a captain eventually. He kind of worked his way up the ranks. I get I guess with a little bit of help. Um, Philip himself was born into royalty uh, to the Greek and Danish royal families, and is actually a cousin of Queen Elizabeth's. Not first, surely. No, so they're distant cousins. They were both descended from uh, Queen Victoria. So wasn't everyone at this point? Isn't everybody who's in the nobility? tangentially related to I think you could probably argue that a lot of us are probably related to Queen Victoria she had nine children who then went on to have more I don't know how many but more children and more children and more children and the line got bigger and bigger and bigger so potentially Mm. I I won't hold that against them it's like the same we're all related to Genghis Khan it's like yeah yeah we are so Mm. so in the press Philip was described Favorably, oh, he was a bit of a heartthrob. He was, he was a sexy prince. He was. So he was yeah. described as a blonde Greek Apollo, a Viking, Ooh. and as handsome as any film star. And I would agree, he was hot stuff. However, when he was isn't younger. it amazing that someone can be described as a Greek Adonis, a, a Greek Apollo, even. A, and a Viking? And a Viking. <laughs> I imagine those two sort of, you know, the the archetypes of those two uh, cultures to be. Quite different. Yes, I think the idea have was pale and olive skin. Uh, I mean, blonde I think the, and black hair. He was just a very handsome chap. I think that's what they were trying to say. <laughs> um, and I would, I would agree. I mean, a lot of people remember Prince Philip from his. Uh, his later years, looking where, like a skeleton in the back of a Range Rover. Yeah. He, yes, that that photo with the very red eyes. And it's like, um, remember, the man was ninety eight at that point. Uh, he was, yeah, a lot older, a lot <laughs> older. But um, uh, yeah, and it, back in his back in his day, he was a he was a handsome, handsome, handsome chap. Um, Played rather ably, I feel, by Matt Smith. Oh, very, very well. Yes, I agree. another man who I feel is both Greek and Norse. <laughs> and as handsome as any film star. Mm. Blackburn Rovers fan, so I do like him. Mm, well, there you go. In total, uh, Philip and uh, Elizabeth welcomed four children throughout their lives. So it's almost like they did it in two batches mm. as well. So they had Charles in 1948, Anne in 1950, Andrew in 1960, that and was a bad Edward year. and Edward in 1964. So when they had Edward, the Queen was 37 years old. That is a that would be considered a geriatric pregnancy, wouldn't it? So that there was a lot of risk to that one. Mm, absolutely. Um, because, as we know, royalty is very virile. We can assume they only had sex those four occasions. Mm, yeah, well, you never know. You, you never know. know. I every mean... time a royal has sex, especially a reigning monarch, a child is produced. It's just fact. It's fact. So we know that there were four times you know they they young love and then the 60s and the drug culture reinvigorated their relationship <laughs> to the point where they could touch each other again in a special way it's not uncommon though is it i think a lot of people have children in two batches it's no, almost no. like the first two are kind of grown up and they can do it all again like with well, a bit more energy my maybe. my parents were exactly the same my older brother and me there's 14 months between us and then there's a good few years and then my two little brothers are quite close together 
Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, quite I, common. I think it, it's once you forget the toddler phase, and you think, oh, we could do that again. <laughs> Instant regret. Yeah. Oh, so, oh shit. Um, Why did we think we wanted to deal with nappies again? <laughs> oh. Back to 1952. When they were definitely dealing with nappies based on the age of... Uh, absolutely. Anne? Yeah, yeah, Anne was born in 1950. Mm-hmm. So in 1952, Princess Elizabeth became Queen Elizabeth following the death of her father. Although she wasn't crowned until a, a year later in 1953. Uh, this was due to a few reasons. She was in South Africa, <laughs> mainly. Go- so she had say, to get yeah. back from South Africa. And in those um, days, it took a year... It took one whole year. Um, the the king had failed to recover from a lung operation and died in his sleep on the 6th of February 1952 at Sandringham Estate. He was only 56. He's quite young. Well, com- compared to his offspring, yes. Hmm. And she was just 25 mm. at the time of her crowning. So, which is why the sort of the stars aligned, which is why we uh, had the longest reigning monarch in, in, in Britain because mm. um because of her dad dying so young. Um it wouldn't have happened otherwise she probably wouldn't have overtaken Victoria. No, it would have been a, a Charles situation. Yeah. Definitely. So I'm gonna jump wow. to the nineteen sixties. Okay, okay, only a decade. I was I was worried you were gonna go, I'm gonna jump to last week. No. Things change was, a, was fine. <laughs> change was afoot in 1960s. So the 1960s started on the world stage with President John F. Kennedy stating that by the end of the decade, they would put a man on the moon. I don't like this. The whole America won the space race. They kept changing the goalposts because it was like, who's going to be the first person to put a rocket in orbit? The Russians did it. Who's going to be the first person to send something up, a live animal? The Russians did it. Who's going to be the first person to send a man up and do an orbit? The Russians did it. And they're like, no, 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 because the goal's the moon. And and we've done that, so screw you. That's it. Space race over. Mm. I mean, the only reasons the American got it is because they had a lot of um, uh, uh, Nazi expats, as I should call them, in Operation Paperclip that got bloody moved to America. I know you kill people, but... Do you know rockets? Yeah, yes. Because we desperately yes. want to beat the Soviets. So. Okay, come over here. Your name is no lo- no, I don't care what it was. Your name is now Your name is John Windsor. <laughs> <laughs> and you are, you are from not- Nebraska. Can you can you affect a Nebraska accent? Uh, no. Hello? Close enough. <laughs> okay, right, go on. Operation Papercliff is just like if if you are the kind of person that we need at this moment, you are absolved of all guilt. Yeah, you can either come to America or Argentina. Take your pick. But yeah. there's nothing to say that the Windsors were involved in any um, rehabilitation of the Nazis. So oh, let's, no. let's give her that. No, very true. Very true. So in the 1960s, it was the decade of the Beatles, the yes. Rolling Stones, and what I personally like to call when colour was invented. Now stick <laughs> with me. So a lot of newsreels and stuff that we watch prior to this date are in black and white and uh, even papers and stuff are black and white. Colour magazines are not really a thing. All of a sudden in the 1960s, there was an explosion of colour. Like, uh, and suddenly with colour, you can see things differently. So whereas this establishment had seemed very formal... All of a sudden, it started to seem outdated. Does that make sense? Yeah. Are you following my reasoning there? I mean, three things. First of all, it's still the decade of the Rolling Stones. 
<laughs> yeah, they're still around very much Secondly, so, Secondly, yes. you missed Silla Black off that list, which I feel is a travesty. But thirdly, with with the idea of colour and the idea... I think it's more the, the mass production of televisions because famously uh, people bought a TV to watch her coronation. Mm. But by the mid-60s, people just had TVs. Yeah, absolutely. And in, and in colour as well. I mean, black and white TVs were still very much a thing in the early 60s, but by the end... A lot of people had colour TVs as well as they got cheaper. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, always the thing. For sure. Yeah, it was... Uh, uh, going back to Scylla Black here, nothing to do with the Queen. I would say her fundamental years were in the 90s. I think that's when she was probably at her height of fame. Scylla, yeah. Yeah. When she transitioned. Yeah, to the, the television theater. presenter that we loved. A cheeky chappy. Surprise, surprise. Oh, it's a blind date for me. And the guy who always... Do, do, Graham, was it Graham? Graham but ah, Graham. I'd say blind date, and I'd only say one D. He always pronounced both Ds. It was blind date. And there's something about that that's really pleasing to me. Mm. We should go back date. and watch it. It's blind date. Very good. Uh, the Empire continued to crumble. And the Commonwealth nations started to regain their independence from British rule. So a lot of countries were saying, no, we've had enough. Go away. We don't want your imperial uh, life anymore. Stop telling us what to do. We want independence. And now it is the most common holiday in the world that is celebrated. Independence from Britain is Mm. the most common national holiday which tells you how big oh god yeah. the empire was um well, there's a certain amount of pride to the fact that actually the independence is the biggest thing now because it's like right we finally realized we should not administer the entire world mm. we're not good well i even even uh, in the 80s and 90s when we were brought up we we were told that that empire was a good thing mm. like for something that we should have been proud of oh well we had we had the whole world like I mean, I don't know what they teach in schools. I've not stepped foot in a school since 2003. But <laughs> I assume it's so far not as that. to say that it was a bad thing. It's just, yeah, it's we'll not just ignore as, that. We're just, mm, just sweep that it. under the rug. Um, the, the Sepoy Rebellion of... No, 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 we're not talking about that. That's Absolutely ancient not. Ancient history. So the world was changing. Yep. Could the establishment keep up? That's a really good question because you'd have thought, no. Because generally monarchy is run on, we're making things bigger and better and we're taking more land. You know, when you go really far back, it was the person who was the chief was the one who was invading, taking and then distributing to the nobles. And that was how they did it. Yeah. So, yeah, it it, it was probably because we, we see it at the end of the story when we were born that, oh, no, of course, they, they rode that storm, but probably seemed a bit superfluous after you know, Second World War and all of the sort of unification that came with it in terms of, you know, Western Europe. So the next few years were a roller coaster <laughs> of popular, not popular, popular, not popular. They rode the wave. <laughs> so in 1977, the Queen had been on the throne for 25 years. Britain, however, was in a bit of a mess still not fully recovered from post-World War II bombing. Industry work was collapsing, unemployment was high, the police were heavy-handed, riots ensued, right-wing politics were on the rise, racism was institutionalised, the streets were dirty, power cuts were frequent, and food began to get really expensive and short. In other words, it was 2022. (laughs) Well, it feels like it, doesn't it? Yeah. 
the future was not looking bright in the 70s. And you only have to look at those old newsreels and stuff of, of the riots that were happening, the blackouts, the strikes, all of that kind of stuff. It all kicked off around the Queen's Jubilee. Now, the monarchy's popularity at that time was an all-time low. They were seen as an outdated relic of a falling imperial power and they were barely hanging on, to be honest. The punk movement was born directly out of a dislike for the establishment and the old ways of doing things. Mm. The Sex Pistols, who I used to love, <laughs> who was uh, I was very late to the game, but um, they headed a movement with hits like God Save the Queen, in which they described uh, the Queen as fascist, uh, non-human, and Johnny Rotten basically repeating the same lines, there's no future for you, over and over title again. of the song was No Future. He apparently was very annoyed that they called it God Save the Queen. Oh, really? No, I didn't know that. I didn't and know a that. lovely point, um, because Emma, my wife, sometimes co-host, uh, she is a big Sex Pistols fan. She follows Johnny Rotten, John Lydon on a lot of things. And yeah. she was waiting to see how he would react to the news that um, Queen Elizabeth yeah. had died. And what he posted was the picture from God Save the Queen of Elizabeth un sort of touched up like it had been on the thing. Yeah, so just with the, the safety thing. pins and stuff. Yeah. So it was just the original image um, and just the words send her victorious. Because as far as he was concerned, and I think a lot of people were, what you think of the monarchy can be separated from what you think of the woman. I don't, I don't want to put words into Johnny Rotten's mouth, but it seems like she was dealt her hand, she, like you said. She did her job and she did it quite well. Yeah, no, I, I, I would very much agree. And I think a lot of people, I think that's a reaction that we're getting mm. Um, mm. since it was announced that she died. Um, well, in terms of going down uh, the River Thames on a barge, singing God Save the Queen. Yes, when Richard Branson got arrested as well. He was on the boat, I believe, as well. Yeah, Malcolm um, McLaren definitely did. Yeah, and wasn't uh, Vivian Westwood involved also, as also well? Also arrested, yes. Yeah. So uh, hits like Anarchy in the UK shortly followed and there was lots of side movements from the punk movement, but it was basically out of this anger for young people that the establishment was still so very naive to think that the world wasn't changing mm. and they had to change with it. So now I'm going to take you on a bit of a side story. I was really um, hoping that you were going to say that is when Queen Elizabeth became the lead singer of the Slits. <laughs> and, uh... and Susie and the Banshees, it's her. <laughs> she had many faces. So only uh, a few years prior to the Silver Jubilee, Princess Anne was run off the road and almost kidnapped uh, in a plot that would see four people shot that night and uh, almost the kidnapping of a princess, which, when I started reading into it, is insane. So buckle up. I have never heard this before. Yeah, buckle what? up. It's insane. So Princess Anne and her husband of four months were heading towards Buckingham Palace after a charity film screening. Pretty normal uh, princess stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So a 26-year-old uh, called Ian Ball had rented a car under the name of John Williams, in which police would later find two pairs of handcuffs, Valium tranquilizers, a gun and a ransom letter addressed to the Queen. 
he typed a rambling letter basically criticising the royal family and demanded £2 million pounds, uh, as, a, as a ransom to get Queen Anne back. Okay? So, Bull was driving his car. He rammed the limo off the road and approached the car. Did they not have mm. outriders? Like, it was just the limo? No, so there were, there were, there were um, police nearby. So uh, he pulled out a gun and pointed it straight at Princess Anne's window and demanded that if she didn't open the door, he would shoot her. She was terrified. A police officer who was first on the scene, who was following the limo, as you do, royal protocol, Inspector Beaton, took the opportunity to jump in the limo really quickly, just not thinking just jumped and did it he placed himself between the couple and their assailant who then shot in the car beaten's hand did deflect the bullet but ball then shot him again and then a third time causing a wound that forced the police officer beaten out of the car and onto the ground Mm. the chauffeur then stepped out to confront the gunman jesus Ball then shot him in the chest and he fell back. So that's four in... shots. So, so this, is, this is two people that have been shot. Four people get shot. So, so, <laughs> so he's two... got probably, I always imagine six as a magazine. So he's shot the police officer three times. Yeah. He shot the limo driver. Yeah. Okay. So he's so two he's, shots left. He's, uh, yeah, so he's shot Ball. He's, he's fallen back. He's... Uh, tried to pull the door open. He's actually managed to get the door open. He's grabbed Anne's forearm as Captain Philip, who's sitting next to her, her husband, holds on to the other arm, trying to sort of protect her. doing a princess tug of war. Keep her in the arm, like keep her in the car. Um, He's shouting, you need to come out, you need to come out now. As the two men struggled over Anne, her dress ripped, splitting down the back. Instead of panicking what she later recalled as a very irritating conversation, which is the funniest way of describing what, a potential... kidnapping. It was a very irritating conversation uh, with uh, her potential kidnapper. She, she just basically kept... Like, he kept telling her to get out of the car, and she was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to get out of the bloody car. Bloody likely. I'm not getting out of the car. Um, uh, she was later commended for this, for this, like... The, the stiff upper lip that she was like, well, what do you mean? Absolutely not. I will not get out of the car. <laughs> I, I'm sure it was a lot more terrifying <laughs> than that. Um, Constable Michael Hills then arrived on the scene. Oh, he no, was only 22. Oh, uh, he, uh, the gunman turned and shot Hills in the stomach. Oh. Before he collapsed, he maintained uh, enough strength to contact uh, the police station that he worked for. Um, and then a few members of the police and public were then shot again that night. So someone else got shot. So that's four people, isn't it? One, two, three, four. So there was a member of public, two police officers and the chauffeur that got shot. Did Hill survive the good shot that he got? I'll, I'll get on to that. Because that's normally not a good, good so, place to be shot. Bull then abandoned his plan to kidnap Anne. Well, it hadn't gone great. I'm, I'm going to say... No. I mean, she put up a bloody good fight, as she said. I mean, I would have thought shooting her husband, and this is just me spitballing, is not asking her, shooting her husband so that you didn't get into the tug of war and then just dragging would probably have been better. 
Yeah. If you're going to do it, I don't think I his suppose, heart was in it. Uh, if you, yeah. I mean, he was, he, he basically ran away. Yeah. Uh, uh, he was found in St. James's Park where he was tackled oh. to the ground um, when Ian Ball appeared in court, his lawyer spoke about his history of mental illness, but Ball also gave a statement on what oh, motivated no, his crime. The, you don't let the guy give his own defence. That's lawyering 101. So he said, I would like to say that I did it because I wish to draw attention to the lack of facilities for treating my mental health illness under the NHS. That was his reason. And as we know, mental health services are now the highest funded of all the NHS services and we don't <laughs> so it, have any problems anymore. So it obviously works. Yeah, oh God. Well done him, that Ball brave fellow. pleaded guilty to uh, attempted murder and kidnapping charges, sentenced to a life term in a mental health facility. He spent at least part of his internment at Broadmoor. Yeah, seems the guns that, go there. Yeah, everyone that was shot that night survived. Oh, you, you like to think that when he was um, sort of treated to the point where he was able to have a, a proper cognizant thought, they'd be quite happy about that. Yeah, I mean... Uh, you don't was... want to have a mental break and sort of, you know, you, you restore to your, you know, your senses and somebody says, oh, yeah, you, you ate a princess's face. It was... <laughs> Hoo-wee. That's why we've it's, got you in a um... Hannibal Lecter mask and you'll be wearing that for the next 30 years. I just think it's a really dramatic story and one that doesn't like a lot of people don't know about it. And um, I did have a vague inkling about it, and I thought I would bring you some macabre to this episode. It makes the fact that um, Anne has been travelling in all modes of transport with her mother's uh, coffin even more of a brave thing, considering the trauma that that must cause. Yeah, you're just going about your day, heading back home, and that happens. Someone tries Jeez. to shoot you. I suppose there's a very real risk that people want you dead. If you're in the public eye. So the monarchy's unpopularity was even further cemented, this time in Ireland. When, on the 27th of August 1979, Lord Mountbatten and three members of his holiday party died after the IRA blew up his boat. Mm. So Mountbatten's great-grandmother was Queen Victoria, which makes him a second cousin to Queen Elizabeth. He was also Prince Philip's uncle, taking on a father figure role after Philip's family were exiled from Greece in the 1920s. Mm. The conflict between unionists and the independent movement in Ireland was at its most bloody from the 1970s to the 1990s. Mm. The IRA made no secret about wanting the monarchy dead. The Queen, to some islanders, Represented now. That's Islanders, as in people, people of Republic, Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that they, they saw the Queen as representing oppression, imperialism. Whilst on the other side of the argument, the Queen was everything that some Northern Islanders admired and would defend to their death. Yeah, I mean, I I have very strong leanings on this. That the sort of Protestant English came over and just claimed a lot of land, and then treated the catholic people who've been living there for many many years terribly and uh, I, I yeah and i think this was a point where it was do or die like no more like and uh, whether they had a personal vendetta against queen elizabeth ii uh she was she was the, the represent head, she was she? the figurehead um so it was during this time i'm going back to post boxes because i can't stop talking about them because i bloody love a post box 
Um, it was during this period that ER2 post boxes were frequently blown up in not just Ireland, but Scotland too. And it's for that very reason that you will not see an ER2 post box in either. The ones that were not blown up were eventually removed. Wow. So, Lizzie. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't aimed at her specifically, I guess. It was just that she was the current figurehead. Mm, 100%. And you've got to remember, the, the monarchy at this time were really unpopular. Like, really unpopular. Mm. Um, not just in Ireland, Scotland, Wales, but also in England, um, which is normally the, the country that will defend the monarch to the death. Scottish postboxes dated after 1952 will simply just have a crown cipher on them. They won't have any letters. So you'll see a crown, but you won't see anything else. I can't speak for Ireland because I can't. I've not. I, I mean, obviously, I live in Scotland. So, mm. um, but I, I assume it's the same there. <laughs> Fair enough. There. Yeah. yeah we'll, we'll have that. <laughs> so, in 2012, during a visit, it? we have jumped forward. I'm jumping back again. Oh, okay. This is relevant to the story. So, in 2012, during a visit to mark her Diamond Jubilee. Her Majesty and former IRA commander, Martin McGuinness, shook hands for the first time. Now, I remember watching this on television with one of my Irish friends and how symbolic it was to the point that he was in tears over it because for a long time they thought that peace would never come in Northern Ireland, especially, uh, you remember, I certainly remember the images that we saw of the troubles in Northern Ireland and to see a head of the IRA who was pretty keen on having the monarch killed to shake hands with the monarch was a big deal. Didn't he also show her the cell he'd been put in, in the prison? Yeah. Which must've been a weird, weird moment for both of them. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it was absolutely symbolic Mm. for both of them. So this leads me nicely onto a bizarre event, because I like bizarre events, oh, yes. that took place in 1982. So shortly before 7am on the morning of the 9th of July 1982, a chap called Michael Fagan, not Fagan from Oliver, not like Oliver Twist Fagan, but he scaled his way into the Royal History books. Oh, literally. is this the guy? Is this the this guy who the got guy. into a bedroom? Yeah. Oh, bless him. So after a night of drinking, he climbed over a fence of Buckingham Palace and made his way up a drainpipe onto the roof, removing his shoes and socks. Don't ask me why, he just did. He then entered the royal residence through an unlocked window. He casually spent some time wandering through the palace and completely ignored. There was no one there, although he did trigger the alarm twice. (laughs) Brilliant. Uh, the police that were on uh, that were on duty just thought it was a glitch. Uh, it's the, the corgis building, again. The it was corgis. the corgis constantly setting them off. Uh, so they kept turning it off, assuming there was nothing. That's that's the great thing about having a security system, isn't it? If it's on someone's car or it's on someone's house, everyone always assumes. You know, if, if I hear a car alarm go off, it's like, ah. Oh. I never yeah. think that car is being stolen. No, no, absolutely. You're just like, oh, what an inconvenience. Yeah. Um, he was said to, Fagan was said to have uh, gone into one room and started flicking through King George V's stamp collection. Well, he considered himself at home. Mm. Yeah. He obviously felt comfortable in yeah. Buckingham Part Palace. Part of the furniture, you might say. Yeah. 
Uh, ultimately, after a while of wandering around, he made his way into the residential wing of the palace and apparently unwittingly to the bedroom of none other than Queen Elizabeth II. They were in that room alone for at least 10 minutes and nobody knows exactly what they said to each other. The Queen has not divulged it and neither did he. Aww, so we don't know nice. what was said. So it was the same rules as the uh, the Prime Minister's audience with the Queen, that neither yeah. will divulge what is said. It could have been a very heart-to-heart conversation like they dramatised in The oh, Crown. Yeah. Or it could have been like, Philip, Philip, what the fuck is this man doing in my room? There's another man in my room. I'm sorry, I don't have any change on me. <laughs> I am the money. <laughs> I can write you an IOU. I am good for it, you know. <laughs> this uh, might come as a surprise to you, but this wasn't the first time that he'd actually broken into Buckingham Palace. This was the second time. Well, I mean, once you've done something once, you kind of feel like you you can do it again. He's, he's got away with it once. Yeah. So in the first time, he said he just wandered about, oh, sat so- on a couple of thrones and rummaged through the rooms. As you do. But did, uh, did he volunteer that information? Yes. Because right. so, I'd be like, oh, I come here every Friday. <laughs> it's just what I do. Yeah. You know, a bag a few bevies. Pint, fish and chips, Queen's house. You know all those little things like the spoon that you can't find, you know, the TV remote that's got, it's me, all in my house. <laughs> Fagan was arrested and spent no. a short time in a psychiatric unit. Um, but he was only arrested for theft because he stole a bottle of wine. That was it. That was all he was charged for. Not even trespass. No. Breaking uh, and entering. I mean, he that. is still alive Go to this him. current day. He was actually only in prison for two months. Now, he occasionally does media interviews and he's even appeared on the Antiques Roadshow. Why has he not been interviewed? Uh, in the current round of sort of mourning. Because you feel like now would be the time for him <laughs> to, to say yeah, yeah, what yeah. he said. And say, well, actually, she she told me that she I told smelled me I was... a fish. <laughs> that I could put that bottle of wine back or she was going to beat me upside the head. Yeah, set the corgis. Yeah. Set one of her 30 corgis on him. Or even I mean, better, she didn't yeah. have... She said, what do you think of this? She called me over to a radio, a record player, and she played me wham. <laughs> Turns out she's a massive fan. And we just sat and talked about how lovely George Michael's perm was. I'm pretty sure my mum used to fancy George Michael and she devastated that he was a massive hom. I think it's the context, because by the time I was sort of aware of George Michael, I already knew that he was a, a homosexual gentleman. A hom, yeah. Uh, and when you, watch, when you watch those early Wham videos with that knowledge, the idea that anyone thought differently... Is I just, know, I know, it's like, insane. What? Okay. Okay, is is that it? And that no. is our tribute to the Queen. No, no. God save the King. <laughs> uh, Prince Charles had Prince married Charles. Diana in 1981. Prince Andrew had married Fergie in 1986. And Princess Anne had married Captain Phillips way back in 1973. However, it would seem that romance was dead in the 90s. Well, it was it was Ladette culture, wasn't it? It was uh, girl power. You didn't want to be tied to a man. The 90s was not a good time for the royal family. In March 1992, Prince Andrew and Sarah Ferguson announced their separation. 
It was to be the first announcement in a year that the Queen would later refer to in a Christmas Day speech as an anus horribilis, which means a year of disaster or misfortune. I believe they pronounce it anus. I'm going to say anus. <laughs> anus, anus. It was hor- an anus, ladies and gentlemen. Well, both work. I, I, yeah, I love the idea that she just goes, this year has been an anus. Uh... <laughs> so in april princess anne and captain mark phillips divorced after three years uh, of being separated and in november just days before the queen and prince philip were due to celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary windsor castle was devastated by oh, fire yes the fire Christ. I remember seeing it on TV yeah. and I remember all these paintings being like passed yeah, just, from one to the other them. to the other. <laughs> get the artwork! Like, Your um, servants are dying. Yes, but it's a Vermeer. <laughs> get it out! Um, I, I, I've been to Winter Castle. You would not even know that there had been a fire there. It has been restored to the uh, the highest spec. So, no. fear not, yeah. people of Britain. All of your tax money at work, guys. Yeah. The year ended with Charles and Diana announcing their separation. They would go on to finally divorce in 1996, along in the same year with Prince Andrew and Sarah Ferguson. So they were separated, but they didn't actually get divorced until a few years later. If I'm right, though, Sarah Ferguson had by that time started the Budgie the Little Helicopter series. Um, I don't know about this, please tell. I believe that she is the author of Budgie the Little Helicopter, which was not only a, a children's book series, but was short-lived uh, animation, which I believe ITV I picked up. I vaguely remember this. I wasn't aware that it was a Sarah Ferguson, or Fergie, as I used to Fergie, call her. Yeah. yeah. The Fergie that we made, not the Fergie from the uh, Black Eyed Peas, who used to be the voice of one of the uh, Peanuts characters. I'm learning so much she tonight. She was the voice of Charlie Brown's sister. In the original Peanuts thing. Oh, things. well, there you go. There you go. There's a few short fire. They may be true. They may not be. It's it's for right in. other people to figure out. We'll give you Joe's address. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the episode, if you listen all the way through. Fine. Yeah. Uh, fast forward again to 1997 and to the death of Princess Diana. Now the ex-daughter-in-law to the Queen. I have the most vivid memory of this. Yeah. Because I came downstairs early, put on the TV... We, had we were to, 10, we were 10 years yeah, old. I, I actually had to press the TV because we didn't have a remote for this one. And it came on and it was just a still picture of Princess Diana for mm. like the longest time. And I'd assumed the TV had broken. So like hitting <laughs> the TV and then it sort of faded back to the news coverage. Yeah. I I too, I've got very clear memories of it like yourself. I think um, I I had just turned 10, I believe it was... Uh, my birthday's in the middle of August. She died at the end of August, um, and I went down to watch my cartoons. And yeah, it was yeah. turned to turned to Channel One, turned to BBC One. Da, 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 da. Um, and that was it. There was there was there was no there was, cartoons. There was no cartoons. There was a, a, a picture of of Diana's car uh, that had been crushed in Paris. Um, it was uh, yeah, very very fresh, and I can't believe it's that many years ago, but. I believe that they hadn't announced the death at that time, though, because no. early that morning she was still in in a hospital, and they were sort of she's you know in a critical condition. Yeah, so Dodiel was it Dodi? Was that his name? Dodiel fired. Yeah. Yeah, so he died on the oh, yeah. instantly. So Diana was 
really popular. Really popular. She was seen as the people's princess, young, fresh and modern. And when she was killed tragically, the nation wept. And they really did. I remember it. I don't know if it's because I was a child, but I remember at school when we went back, we had to write letters to William and Harry. Um, It was was very over... It was was a lot for a 10-year-old child to take in. I then had... One of our teachers played Candle in the Wind on the tape she had bought... Mm, yeah. uh, in the middle of our class and openly wept, which was confusing for a nine-year-old mm, kid. You yeah. Know? Like, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Very, very bizarre. And it was—I uh, I think it was at that point that, um, and I mean, obviously, death is death is 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 very much a part of a life. But um, at that time, they were like they've these two young boys have lost their mother, and then there was me and my brother. And I was like, well, we're two young boys. I don't want to lose my mum. Like, I got really upset about it. So it was, it was, the nation wept. Everyone was sad. Maybe a little bit too much. She danced <laughs> um, on landmines and cured AIDS. I'm yeah, pretty sure. Exactly. I mean, you, you get that thing of, 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 of people nostalgically look back. And as soon as somebody has died, then that's it. You put them on a pedestal. But that's a, that's a story for another time. A conversation for another time. It is. Um, I mean, she was a young woman who was kind of thrust into this role because... 36. She's only a year older than us mm. now. But I mean, especially when she got married mm. and she she was obviously not the person that this gentleman wanted to marry. No, and I think that was quite clear from, from mm-hmm. day dot. Like, he was very much into Camilla. She was very much into him. Uh, Diana... Was the third they, wheel in her own marriage. Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, I don't blame anyone apart from the establishment from forcing these two people together, but it happened. Um, the Queen and the Royal Family uh, remained silent. They did silent. not come out of that well at the start, did they? At all? No. So they remained silent um, for a week. No one said anything. There were no statements. Um, people were angry. So there was this massive public backlash and against... I think it's important to remember especially now that it was the Daily Mail all of these papers the Express all of these papers that are now are saying oh you know what a great woman she was who were calling the royals all the names under the sun and saying well they're heartless they're out of touch yeah they don't understand the public mood and I I know t- t- I mean I hate to agree with them but I think they they got this so wrong um the the people had lost their princess, and I'm aware that two boys had lost their mothers as well, and that was obviously their priority, of course. Mm. But when you're in a position of the head of state and the people are mourning for a member of your family, you need to at least make a statement. You need to at least be present. After about a week, the Queen eventually addressed the nation after a lot of badgering from Parliament. So Tony Blair had just got into office at that point. He was very much like, you really need to do something. People are getting cross now. (laughs) Like, people are getting really mad. Like, you are seen as the enemy in this situation. Like, she is the golden girl. You are not. You need to say something. They are constructing a guillotine, Your Majesty. You really (laughs) do need to say something. Get involved in this situation. Uh, she did eventually address the nation on a live broadcast, which is something that she'd not done before. So a lot of broadcasts that she'd done prior to that were uh, pre-recorded and edited quite heavily. Mm. But she did this one live, um, and I think a lot of people sort of respected 
prepare well, for that. How often have we talked about doing a live episode and the terror that comes with not being able to go back and listen to it and go, oh, mm. actually, I'll just edit cut that bit bits out. out. Yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. The idea that, and it must, the pressure must have built for her because she'd waited so long. Because it's like if she'd have come out straight away and done a live address, people would forgive slips and things of, well, it's a shock, she's grieving, but after a week. I mean, it was no secret that Diana and the monarchy were at loggerheads for a good mm. few years. Uh, they were enemies of each other. Um, they were spouting tit for tat from each other. It was very uncomfortable to if watch. This was but people had... years ago, you know, I'd just have you in the tower for a few years, then lop off your head. Well, this is it. But but Diana had won the popularity contest. She was the modern woman. She was the one that was approachable. She was the one that everybody wanted to 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 be. She was seen as she was seen as the wronged woman. Well, this in this definitely scenario. changed it though because. I don't know if you saw um, when Charles III went on his first meet and greet, mm. a woman full on snogged him. Yeah. And the idea that that was just, it wasn't mentioned that much on the news. You just sort of like saw it and you're like, that, that woman has literally laid lips on a king. And she's the... not been tackled to the floor. She's not been... No. No, however, she, 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 I mean, I don't think anyone would have been kissing Charles at this point because he was public enemy number one mm. at this point. Um, after the Queen did make her speech, though, I think this is kind of where there was a shift. So whereas the monarchy had got stuck for a long time, from the 70s right up until 1997, they've kind of got stuck in this uh, limbo land of we kind of need to be more modern. But we don't know what that is. Exactly. But at this point, when she came out in 1997, I think whoever the publicists were or whoever the people around her were, were like, we've got it. We've got it. This is the start of our rebranding. Mm. And this is the start, in my mind, of their rise again to where they are or where Queen Elizabeth was when she died. Quite a popular monarch. Mm. Oh, no, she's definitely... She definitely came back from a low point here. Absolutely. So they they were, uh, the idea was to be seen more, to be more human, to be more approachable. And it, it worked. Even when in 2002, when the Queen's younger sister and mother died, there was footage of the Queen shedding a tear, which was unheard of. The Queen doesn't cry in public. It's, it's stiff up a lip and stuff. And people were like, wow, <laughs> like there is... There is a human. The double whammy of losing. In the same year, yeah. yeah. It's just fair enough. So and... Margaret was only 71 and the Queen Mother was uh, 101. Yeah, but Mar- so... Margaret had suffered quite severe burns, hadn't she? So she had been a heavy smoker, heavy drinker. Margaret, who I've not really spoken about much, but uh, from, from, from memory and from reading articles and stuff, she was the party girl. Like, she was the fun one to be around. Like, everyone loved Margaret. Like, she was life and soul of the party. But ultimately, the party catches up with you. Um, I know, but 71, you flipping out. She did well. Yeah. She did very well. Um, not like the Queen Mom. I mean, she did phenomenally. <laughs> She used to scare me. <laughs> As a kid, I remember being terrified of her. Oh, she's my favourite royal. It was just like, I was and like here why is... is the one who's allowed to say and do whatever she wants. <laughs> I know, it's mad, isn't it? Um, so the rebrand was under. It was underway. Mm. Um, okay, at this point, 
I want to talk to you about something I alluded to earlier. So, um, my two accidental meetings with the Queen. So, it's not often that you bump into the Queen twice by accident, but I did. The first time <laughs> was in a Sainsbury's in Chipping Norton. No, uh, they she were was actually... looking for chicken. I was looking for fish, and we had a good laugh. We had a good uh, chat about <laughs> our recipe for tikka masala. <laughs> um, no, it was uh, uh, in 2012 in Edinburgh. I was uh, living in Edinburgh at the time. Mm. Uh, I just moved there not that long ago, and I was taking a stroll past the uh, Botanic Gardens, uh, mm. where the Queen had just opened a uh, a new tree. She'd opened a new tree. She'd opened a new uh, like education centre there. Uh, it was kind of towards the end of the day. Um, it wasn't like a publicised event, uh, event. It was kind of like a low-key, just so we can put a plaque up kind of thing. The Queen opened this. I've seen a few of those, actually, and I'm thinking, hmm, you know, this is quite Did a small she... thing for the Queen to come. And I guess she does, you know, for all the mm. ones that are big and make the news, there'll be dozens of little She ones, opened my she... school twice when it, was re- when it was built the first time in the 70s and then when it was rebuilt. Again, in the Do you when I that left. was her reaction? It's like you're opening this school. It's like, fucking hell again! How many times <laughs> have you opened this fucking school? <laughs> they've bloody ruined it. They didn't look after the first one. What you're just saying? They repainted it. It didn't fucking burn down. <laughs> Why do they need me again? Um, so uh, the streets around uh, Edinburgh Botanic Gardens are really wide. So they're they're built in like the Georgian era, where there were lots of horses and carts and stuff, but. Um, not so much anymore. I was wandering uh, down the side of the Botanic Gardens and the park, and there was the uh, the Rolls Royce parked up outside. I had no idea that the Queen had been there. I was on one side of the road. Nothing was cordoned off mm. at all. I was walking down one side of the road. She was walking out of the gate as I was walking, sort of, I was crossing the road. So I was going in a diagonal Uh, loop towards kind of where she was not on purpose I was just like heading that way anyway and um sort of walked past she walked out and um I sort of looked at her did a double take and I waved and she did her her hand wave to me and I was just like wow okay and then I was like have I just waved at the queen like what the fuck and like no one else was there I was there on my own I was walking to my partners at the time and I was just like I've literally just seen the Queen and then took some snaps on like a really bad iPhone or whatever they were, like what a really old this? iPhone, 2010. So you had like a five megapixel camera. So, uh, and I, I mean, I must have had the photos on a laptop somewhere. But um, yeah, so I, I, I waved to the Queen. I was probably about two metres away from her when I waved. Like, That's there, too close to be waving. You need to say hello at that point. I did, I did say hello at the same time. I was like, hello. She just sort of like acknowledged that I was there. Hello, random citizen. <laughs> Have you come to pay me a due? Um, I've come to kidnap you. No, I haven't. Um, get in the car. Get in the car. Because I, 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 uh, I wanted to look up the specific date, so I, I kind of googled like when she opened this thing, and I, yeah, it was July the twelfth, two thousand and ten. So I can tell you exactly what date it was as well. Fantastic. So, which is exciting. And number two, which is probably more exciting, because I actually had a conversation mm. with the Queen. Um, I say conversation loosely. 
we we exchanged pleasantries. You shouted fascist and she shouted <laughs> socialist scam. So I'd rocked up to uh, Hopeton House, which is just outside Queen's Ferry in Scotland. Uh, I I wasn't living up here at the time, but I'd come to stay with some friends. Well, it's the um, Queen's Ferry. She obviously uses it quite a bit. Exactly. Mm. So I'd, I'd I'd booked to come and see this uh, this country house, this Hopeton house, which I've seen on telly a million times. Uh, I parked in the car park, and there's all of these royal possession cars, like just lined up. Yeah, I know. And I was meant. like, well, I was just like, what? Like what? And they just let me in. I was just like, okay, fine. Like in my uh, Toyota Igo, bright red, like chav car, and um, and then I took a wander. Uh, to the entrance, mm-hmm. and As you uh, do, if you go into a country house, and I asked, I asked the guy, I was like, "Are they what I think they mean?" Because they had the flags kind of like sticking out oh, the tops yeah, of yeah, them, yeah. and I was like, "Are they? Is that what I think they are?" He's like, "I couldn't, I couldn't possibly tell you." And then he sort of like pointed to his nose, and I was like, "Hmm, I know, I know." He's not allowed to tell me, but I know. So I wandered round. And all the staff of the house are kind of standing outside. I say all of them. There's about four of them, and then me, right? So the you Lord just and Lady, the end of the line. yeah. Hello. So, so Lord and Lady of the house came out, and they were like, they were, oh, we're very excited to 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 have Her Majesty the Queen come down from from Balmoral, and um, you could absolutely take photographs, and and you can absolutely say hello to them. They're they're a lovely couple. Blah blah blah. And I was just like, so you're talking you do... to the Lord and Lady of the House at this point, yeah. And you're the so only like... person there because I know you. You get the Early, at opening yeah. time. Absolutely. So and then I was uh, so there's me and these four other members of staff. So we're all kind of lined up in a row. They were wearing uniforms. I'm not. I don't know who this Lord and Lady thought I was, but anyway, I'm there. And um, all of a sudden, we hear this chopper. They're thinking you're like the uber royalist. You're like, yeah, maybe. It's the only Thing one is, who's come at this time. I've, I've got this accent as well, yeah. so I can kind of get away with it. And this was pre having hand tattoos and stuff. So, yeah, maybe they just looked at me like I was just uh, a, I don't know, member a of chap. the young Tories. Exactly. So uh, they flew down <laughs> from Balmoral in their chopper. It landed on the grass in front of us. Uh, Philip and the Queen got out. They said hello to the family. They then went into the house and did, I don't know what they did, like... Used the facilities. It used was just the, they a were, splash and dash. They were on the way They were there. only in there for like 10 minutes. Yeah. And then they came out and then walked right up to us. I was less than 30 centimetres away from the Queen. They came very close and, uh, oh, hello, like, how are you? Like, what a lovely day. Blah, like, very pleasant trees. And I was like, oh, Lovely to meet you. And she was like, oh, pleasant to meet you too. And I was like, I've literally just spoken to the Queen. I was like, this is the second time. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Randomly bumped And then um, I've got photos of this one. So I've got loads of photos. Um, and then uh, Philip came up and said hello. And then said they something got... something racist. Said something racist. They got in the car and then they drove to the Queensferry Bridge, the new one, and then opened it with uh, Nicola Sturgeon. And then I just went off and did a house tour. It was very bizarre, but lovely nonetheless. Um, Brilliant. I mean, yeah, it was it was great. And actually, this was the point where I was still quite heavily a monarchist, a very very uh, a big fan of of Queen Elizabeth. I'd, I'd written to her, as I said earlier, and I have I have the letters. They're actually sitting right next to me as we speak oh, um, on headed paper from two thousand and thirteen and fifteen. Um, 
In 2011 and 2012, a two-year period that I personally think was buzzing. So first, in 2011, there was the royal wedding of the future king, William, followed in 2012 by the London Olympics. Now, this period of time in London, which is where I was staying, um, was just incredible. It was just euphoric. It was amazing. So the monarchy was seen once more as something to be proud of. A new younger couple that were well-liked seemed very modern indeed. Mm. We, the public, saw them openly talking about issues like mental health struggles and they they appeared in public lots, uh, just talking to ordinary people. They seemed a lot more like us. Do you think that that was a a choice that was made by the higher-ups of like, well, we can't do it now because it would seem a bit of a step change from... Oh, I think this was was part of the grand plan Mm. from 1997 onwards. This was the plan. Each generation (laughs) is going to appear more approachable. We're going to be... Yeah. Yeah. Hypermodern. During uh, the opening of the 2012 Olympics, now you may remember this, but the Queen herself... Amazing. Oh, yes. So the Queen herself was in a sketch with actor Daniel Craig, who plays James Bond. Uh, in the sketch, Queen Elizabeth was seen in conversation with James Bond uh, in a very well-timed scene. It appeared that the Queen had jumped out of a plane over the real Olympic Park when a stunt double really did drop from a plane over London wearing the same dress as the British monarch herself. It was PR gold. I remember watching it and standing up and cheering because I was like, yes, like this is, this is the future. This is fun. This is amazing. And this is something to be proud of. Like It was the relief because I remember when we'd, uh, because at the Olympic closing ceremonies, they always give the next places like a five minute thing to go. And this is what you got to look forward to in four years. And I remember ours was so shit it was like two red buses came on and i think probably the rolling stones were playing on top of one of the buses and then there was like david beckham kicking a few balls in the air and you're like oh my god we are so fucking tin pot because the amount of negativity around the olympics oh for ages until it actually we are going to be shit and then it was just like there was a very uh big press campaign like the world is watching Mm. like this is London. This is they, they do this thing quite famously now in uh, like in New Year's Eve. So around uh, the London Eye, they always project onto it. London is open. Like mm. London is here. Like and it's it is. It's quite um, it's quite emotional as well. Especially being a southerner as well. I get quite um, I, I get quite proud. I got sometimes. into the London Olympics, but my apathy beforehand is best summed up by the fact the Olympic torch went past the end of our road. It was literally a hundred yards. Did you blow it out? No, I was getting. <laughs> I, I just so happened to be going to my car to go to work, and rather than take the five seconds it would have taken to go and look and see it, I was just like, "Oh, fuck it." Oh, I mean, fine. You yeah. can Google these images now. But it's, it's, that's how little I thought we were going to do with it. Cause I'm like, we're going to do the Olympics. We're going to be the worst and we did ever host nation. Really well as well. Oh no, like, we did brilliantly. Um, I'm uh, happy to I, have been proven wrong on that one. Yeah, for sure. So the Queen, who was now in her seventies, was uh, applauded worldwide. Uh, 
for her modern take on the world. And I think a lot of younger people as well were like, yes, the Queen, come on, the Queen. Like, yeah, I think everyone kind of got behind that. Um, She was like the oldest figure, minus Philip, but she was the oldest figure in the establishment. And then you had William and Kate and uh, Harry, who was on his own at this point, uh, who were the younger, more modern. And the, the, the fuse of the two was incredible. It does feel like at that point there was kind of an, a willful ignoring of the middle lot because probably oh, yeah. with the divorces and the the thing, it's like you've got the Queen and Philip who were like, you know, just part of the furniture. They weren't going anywhere. And then you had these young royals who hadn't messed anything up yet. And it was like, oh, there's the hope. So I think the uh, a lot of the Queen's issues in the 80s and 90s were not actually her fault. So there was a lot of... Uh, it was her children. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think... Uh, so when they realised that was the issue, then they were like, right, PR, you can stay. You now need to be the face mm. of the monarchy. So... The Queen appeared in a few more sketches like this over the years, including one with her grandson, Prince Harry, who was on a video call with the Obamas, um, and it was around the Evictus Games, which is a, a games that Harry has set up for people who have lost uh, like limbs or become injured during active service. So in this sketch, the Queen and Prince Harry were sitting next to each other, sort of doing that fighting talk, jokingly, with the Obamas. And um, Harry and the Queen kind of did a mic drop after doing some play fighting talk. Again, it was PR gold. The Queen was now seen as, like, your funny nan. (laughs) That was just... Although she was ahead of... The, the Commonwealth, and she was head of the the the, U, the, U, the British uh, Crown. She was also very approachable and quite fun. I, um, I think she got to the stage as well where she was just the Queen. It kind of transcended any of the other stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think uh, as well, uh, I watched the the French president. Yeah, she will uh, always be the Queen. Yeah, exactly. And when people are talking about the Queen, they are talking about the British Queen. They're not talking about any other Queen, um, which is incredible when you think about it. This uh, this one sort of really short lady. That's what I meant to say when I met her. She was very short, like really short. I towered above her, <laughs> like absolutely towered above her. Um, I could have taken her out right there and then, but I didn't. You're welcome. <laughs> Um, so fast forward uh, to April 2021 Uh, after battling ill health for a while uh, on the 9th of April 2021 the Queen's husband Prince Philip died at Windsor Castle now it wasn't a complete shock he was quite unwell for a long time in and out of hospital for operations he looked like death was coming he looked like skeletal let's be fair he did he did and actually do you know what some of the pictures that he put they put up of him after he died were actually i think they were quite mean they should have used younger photos i would have been furious <laughs> if they used them photos of me in the papers etc when, when previously you've been described as both a greek and norse god Exactly, exactly. And, and and no one, I think people would be very shocked if they looked back and they yeah. were like, oh, actually, he was quite handsome. Um, so he died um, and he did. Po- potentially 
One of the saddest scenes or images that I've ever seen was due to the COVID restrictions that were in place in England at the time. For so certain the, people. For certain people. So the Queen had attended the funeral and sat on her own and there's this dramatic image of her just sitting in black in this ornate hall. Because there, these... there were words, um, words, people have said that she was offered the opportunity to, it was like, well, we can make an exception for you. Mm. And she said no. In terms of duty, it's like, well, actually, she was she was walking the walk at that point because she could have just gone, no, actually, I'm the queen. Yeah. I can F-U-L. have this. Yeah. It was, yeah. I mean, it is such a powerful image. And again, I think, although it wasn't meant to be, it was publicity gold. Mm. She was the constant that had been there and been with the nation for almost 70 years mm. at this point. And it was everyone else that was messing up. So it was actually an image that was used later to show up the Tory government after they were actually actively found guilty of breaking the law that they had set. Mm. Uh, Still a very powerful image, an image that again gained the Queen a lot of fans, I think. Um, Because she was just like one of us. She, I, I, myself, again... Uh, had to watch one of my friend's funerals on a Zoom mm. call because I wasn't allowed to go to the uh, go to the funeral. And seeing this image of the Queen doing that, you were like, "Oh wow!" Like, there's a certain sh- amount of comfort to. Oh, it is. It is all of us. Yeah, exactly. Well, unless you're in government, mm. but I digress. Um, so I'm nearing the end. You'll be pleased to hear. As was she at that point, bless her. As was she. So um, I wanted to uh, take an extract from a speech that she made uh, when she became queen. So, I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. Now... Whilst the language and social attitudes have changed in regards to imperialism, I think Mm. the significance of what she said was that she was going to dedicate her life. And I believe that she did display that throughout her life. Mm. Um, And her long life was pretty impressive. So as we say goodbye to one monarch and hello to another... We will now see new stamps, new postbox ciphers and new coins all stamped CR free. Uh, We are still very much in the mourning period and some interesting, bizarre things have happened in the last few days. Now, we (laughs) there's been some really unnormal behaviour going on in the last few days. Things that maybe it's not... Uh, maybe it is quite normal, but we've never seen the succession between one monarch and another, but it's all very bizarre. So I just wanted to quote a few things that have been happening. So uh, people have now been issued a warning not to leave Paddington Bear tributes to the Queen, and they should only leave uh, flowers without plastic, because hundreds of thousands of tiny Paddington Bears are being left in parks up against gates in different palaces everywhere. The saddest thing about that is I believe Michael Bond himself is dead, the creator of Paddington, so he's not even getting the royalties from this. 
Yeah. He missed his, his great cash cow. Now, so so uh, I haven't mentioned it before, but the reason Paddington Bear became quite a symbolic thing is because the Platinum Jubilee that was earlier this year, um, Paddington Bear did a sketch again with the Queen where the Queen famously got out a jam sandwich out of her bag and they shared a cup of tea and a jam sandwich. Uh, sorry, marmalade, marmalade sandwich. Jesus, that's sorry. treasonous. Treason. To say jam. To the tower. Um... <laughs> Uh, so that's the reason why people are leaving Paddington And they bears. were leaving marmalade sandwiches, weren't they? It was like, please mm. stop leaving yeah, marmalade sandwiches. foxes will get them. Yeah. Um, so we've seen a lot of arrests recently as well. So a 22-year-old man was famously arrested uh, for calling Prince Andrew a dirty old man. And several others have for been arrested... stating a fact. Yeah. And several others have been arrested for just holding anti-monarchy signs. So signs that just say, not my king. They're not shouting anything out. They're just I there. I believe the, the lady in Edinburgh, because uh, Scottish laws in terms of public nuisance and that are slightly different, it's because it said, fuck the monarchy. If she'd have written down with the monarchy, she may not have been. But the, the writing of a swear word yeah. on that sign... There was the, the interesting thing is... one with the barrister who held, held oh, a yes. sheet of paper and the police officer said, well, what are you going to write on that? And he's like, I think I might write, not my king. He's like, well, if you write that, then I will arrest you. Which is really worrying, I think, because although people have got a, a right to mourn, and as I said, in, in in when I first heard the news, I, as a socialist, was actually quite upset by it all, Um uh, and I know that tempers are are high and it could potentially cause some conflict if you've got two opposing views. But you can't just shut people down if they disagree with what you say. That is not a democracy. That is not what we live in. Well, the issue is people the way do the have... works. It's as you're going through the mourning period, you're also going through the establishing the new monarch. So when they're saying, well, there's a time and a place to, to protest, it's like, yeah, but unfortunately, if you're a republicanist and you don't want another monarch, this is the time and the place because he's mm. not had his coronation yet. So yeah. if you're going to protest it, unfortunately, it kind of coincides with the death of the old monarch. Mm. I do, I do really... Uh, worry and obviously I follow a lot of lefty things on social media so obviously I'm only getting the snippets of um, uh, like the private wealth of the Queen will not be taxed uh, like nope. most people get taxed death duties that will not be taxed that will just go straight back into the into the private pot of the monarchy uh, as you said earlier a hundred staff have been sh- uh, sacked instantly from Clarence House where uh, Prince Charles, now King Charles III, uh, was living. Um, uh, people are having their operations cancelled for their um, hospital appointments. Uh, people are... Funerals I mean, have been postponed. Funerals have been postponed. Um, I mean, even centre parks, although they've they've backtracked on this now, centre parks basically were going to chuck all of their guests out on the Monday. You can go back on the Tuesday. And come back on the Tuesday. But what about if you're on holiday? What a ridiculous thing to do. And of course, they I just, banned all football. They banned all football. And everyone they... says, oh, well, they shouldn't do that because they let the cricket go on. But then I guess they got spooked by that Irish football match that took yeah, place. When, where when they were shouting the Lizzie's chance. in a box. Yeah. yeah, and it's like you see that and you're thinking... 
So they basically, when there's a transition between two monarchs, they don't want it to be embarrassing. They want it to be a smooth ride. But I do, I, I worry that this whole modernising thing that they've been trying to do for a long period of time is going to backfire on them if they don't change this changeover as well. Because we're going to see it again, let's be honest. If we live a good 30, 40 years more, we're going to see this happen again. I think they need to just be a little I'm bit more modern. I'm sure the Treason Act is still in effect and that wishing the death of a king or imagining the death of a king even... You would, never be, you would never be tried for it, though, ever. Let's um, test that. But Come on, yes. the meta, the meta ready to, to take that on. So I'm sure they are... We can are... do a test case with you. You just imagine the death of the king. Uh, I mean, I do... In a way, I do feel sorry for the police because they're basically just told what to do, aren't they? They're just... They're, they're, they're kind of said, well, if they do this, you have to do this. And even if they think it's a really bad judgment call, they have to be seen to be doing something i mean i like the fact that now they're backed into a corner with the blank sheets of paper after what happened in russia with the guy who's protesting the war in ukraine who just held up a blank sheet of paper and was dragged off by the russian police it's like okay that's exactly what you're doing yeah. yeah if we hold up blank sheets of paper and you drag us off you know what parallel we're going to draw so i just I, move. I, yeah i i worry as well obviously uh yeah, Elizabeth had built this relationship with uh, the country for a long period of time. It rounded off very nicely. She smashed it. There was a bit of a dodgy period in, in between, but she smashed it. Uh, Charles uh, has already shown a different side of his uh, his rule. So there's obviously been the footage of where he's got very cross with people Already, he's sort of dismissed people where his pen's not been working or a pen's leaked uh, in two separate incidents. He's been sort of muttering under his breath. And now, yes, he has lost his mother, which is yeah, horrendous. Yeah, I was say, I would, I would give him a pass because when I lost my mum, yeah. I was able to just go to the family home and spend two weeks where people brought us lasagnas uh, <laughs> and we just stay together as a family whereas he's like oh your mum's dead right get on you this, are the king. get on this yeah. plane go over there give a speech now get on another plane you need to go to northern ireland okay right you enjoy that time for wales let's go come on for guy. sure for sure absolutely i just um uh, the world especially in a period like this the world is watching and very closely especially when you're not overly popular to start with so i just i i charles is a bit of a hippie he talks to plants i don't have a problem with that i'm quite on board with charles i i've always kind of been on side where he should have married camilla in the first place yeah um i don't necessarily think that was his fault um uh, they were brought up in a very uh, strange, unnormal atmosphere. <laughs> um, it's. I, d- yeah. I just want to pursue my dreams. No, mm. no, Charles. I'm going to tell you for now. It's not that happening. It's not happening. Let's just kill all of those desires and personal ambitions. You are going to do what I tell you. So I just, I just think it's um... now marry this girl. Yeah, exactly. I just, I, I, I just think we're in a really strange period of time where things are just well like you say not nobody, very normal nobody has experienced this or if they have they were very young hmm. in terms of the transition and even god save the king it's like no it's god save the queen 
I think it, it would be it easier would become for the British normal. public at this point if Charles uh, agreed to a Transition. sex change. Yeah. <laughs> that would be very modern, wouldn't it? It would, be, it, it would make it easier for me. That would be very modern. So, I guess that is the story of <laughs> Queen Elizabeth II and what is to come. That is our homage, adding to the noise around this woman. And I've, I feel like I've spoken a lot. You have. <laughs> like... This is, this will definitely be a two-parter. Don't you worry about that. Fine. Yeah. So. Spoiler. It was not a two-parter. Hi there, it's Emma, chief organizer. Recently eccentric. Here to remind you all that if you like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on Acast, Spotify and iTunes. How fancy. You can also join us on Instagram at Consistently Eccentric Podcast, where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week.